Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. You okay over there? You sound a little uh, subdued. Are you just rolling through things right now? Barely surviving? I'm good. You're good? Good. Why are your eyes closed? Are you sleeping over there? No. Okay. Thanks for joining us for Minute 9 of Sleepy Man's Chest. We'll just get right to it because Heather's about to fall asleep and we don't want her dozing off during the show, so I will just get on with it. What do you say? You good with that? Yep. (laughs) Of course you are. In the previous minute, we learned why Captain Over is so fascinated with Turkish prisons when distant relative Captain Jack Sparrow escapes said prison and returns to the Black Pearl with the so-called cloth treasure in hand. Joey. Do you like movies about gladiators? No? What about dissenting sailors, perhaps? What about threatening macaws or pistol-whipping skeleton monkeys? Yeah, I knew we'd find your cup of tea eventually. And with that, Jack takes out his avian frustration on a simian. Blasted! It's never good to misfire, especially when a monkey is reaching for your cloth. Minute 9 begins with the cursed monkey running off with Jack's, that's Captain Jack's, mysterious piece of cloth, only to catch a ball from a working flintlock. The not-so-injured skeleton monkey drops surprise, giving Marty a chance to retrieve and reveal the contents. It's a key! The minute ends with Jack explaining to Gibbs which we don't have. Without first having found the key, what unlocks it? Gibbs replies, so we're going after this key. Jack responds back, you're not making any sense at all. Well, it's good to see Marty is back in pirate action, I guess. What do you think about that? There's Marty. Yeah, it's good to see him, actually. I do like the fact that they brought back a lot of the original crew. And it seems like Marty has a bit larger role. At least in the beginning of this movie. Yeah, I agree. He's having more talking parts and at least kind of more involvement than just yeah. more of a background type character to some extent. Not that he was necessarily just a background character, but he seems to at least be doing some things this time. Yes. And he must I have like proved that. himself in The Curse of Black Pearl. Exactly. You know, once you show your worth on a pirate crew, then you get to the next level. And so he has done that for himself, which is good. Because now he's above other members of the crew now. So you can see a hierarchy is forming. He's like, what are you talking about? I've been here since the dock when they brought Cotton and myself on board. And we had to go to the island and battle all this stuff. And it was crazy times. So now they have newbies, the new guys on board. And so he's up on the chain a little bit, which is nice. It's good to see that they did that. I I like that they brought him back as opposed to just getting a whole new crew. Because it's entirely possible that they could have just had a new crew after Curse of the Black Pearl. You know, Gibbs, you know, you'd have maybe Gibbs still around. 
the first mate kind of deal thing going on, but it'd be easy for them just to get a whole new crew. And they could have actually gone a whole new crew that had just as many, you know, kind of motley characteristics as the first one did. Yeah. But I like that they brought those guys back and kind of keep them at least some of those through the franchise because I think it then creates more of a atmosphere and a cohesiveness with the crew. Or that they stayed with Jack and the Black Pearl. Yeah, so what does that say about themselves then, actually? That they're staying with Jack. They're, they're those, those people that uh, are comfortable in the position they are currently in. Is that why they're the Motley crew, though? It's because they have trouble getting work elsewhere as pirates. They're well, on the pirate totem pole. They're not the... I don't see them as really like the fierce pirates like those that were on Barbosa's crew. Which was technically Jack's crew to begin with in the beginning. They were more downright fearsome... Can be cruel, except you got the Pintel Rigetti thing going on. But they they were a bit of a harder pirate breed than the Motley crew was. Well, I think that has to do with your captain. It does, but Jack was the captain yeah, but, of the first Yeah, but one. Barbosa took over. Barbosa was more of a... Hard ass? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that also they had to round up these guys in the beginning from Curse of the Black Pearl pretty quickly. And those are the only ones, as Gibbs said, that came to find work. But it's nice that the, he didn't ditch them like at the first chance that he got. Like he abandoned them on Tortuga, you know, and got a Jack, yeah, Jack and got oh. a hard, a more hardened crew. I don't think Jack wants the hard, more hardened. Well, crew, he doesn't. Though. Not after they left him on the island. But I'm just saying that in pirate world, you want the fearsome guys, and this is kind of like the island of misfit pirates here. But Jack's not a fearsome one. I know that, but He's that's more... what we're saying. But. Squishy. But I think that's what he needs, though, as his character. And I think that's what we see in this particular situation. Because if he had other fearsome pirates, these other hardcore pirate guys, and he's doing some of the word salad stuff that he's doing here, that he'd be on Rum Runner's Isle again. Or that's tossed overboard. Like that's what that. I'm saying. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to get at. Is it just his character dynamic? He doesn't need that. He doesn't want that because it doesn't flow with him anymore. And maybe it never flowed with him. Exactly. Yes. It depends what Jack is doing, though. And if he wants to have the Motley crew that he can, that are more malleable, that he can really kind of hold on to and, and command and make them do whatever he wants in his crazy adventures, then the Motley crew work out for him. If he is really strictly going after gold and plundering, well, he doesn't necessarily do that stuff. But if he's going after gold and that kind of stuff, then... He would need a more battle-hardened criminal-type crew. But we saw that he's he's just not like that. At least in the Black Pearl. He he wasn't like that. Well, I don't think he's he's so much as a stealing from others. It's more of treasure hunting. You can see with this key he found. Or this. Well, he did kind of steal Drawing that. of a key. He did kind of steal that from somebody right. in the but it's not, prison. But it's not a high... Well, or they gave it to him. I we have more information that. on that. I'm bringing it to you tomorrow. It's not lots of stealing. You know what I mean? It's not. So we're talking degrees of criminality. And here he he's he's not doing it using force. He's more sneaky. He's a, well, he, we already established yeah. before and talked about a lot that he's the Bugs Bunny character. He's right. this trickster, this classic trickster. And I see that. I'm just saying, depending on what his objectives are, there's different crews that you have available to you that for that and i think this one is actually settled really nicely with him this kind of crew this 
motley type crew as they're called because they're not necessarily getting work elsewhere. They're having trouble getting the pirate work. Right. And now they found somebody that accepts them who they are and their skills that they have. And he also accepts that maybe they're not the brightest or the fiercest. Yeah. Or the strongest of the pirates that he could have for a crew. But he is make he's made a strategic decision that these are the people that are going to serve him best in his desires and adventures. And I think that's what it is. And the question is, does Jack really care about the crew or is he more caring about his own adventures, kind of a more selfishness thing? And we saw some selfishness in Curse of the Black Pearl, but then but then that selfishness kind of gives way to doing some of the right things, but as long as it has some kind of benefit or to a point of benefit for himself. Well, he's in it for Jack. That's who he's in it for. It's just himself, no one else. Now, cares about parts of his crew. Yeah, I'm sure he cares about Gibbs and certain members of his crew. You know, more of the members that he's known quite a while. But he is a selfish... Like with the gunshot in yesterday's minute? Yeah. Like, I didn't think... I wanted to get rid of that parrot. Then I was going to shoot the monkey... And I didn't care that there was actually other crew members in front of me. Or even think about it. Yeah, he didn't even think about it. Didn't no. even cross his mind like, I shouldn't shoot this monkey. Yeah, no. When my crew are standing right here in front of it. All he cared about was getting rid of the, or shooting the monkey. Getting out his frustration. Yeah. Because that's what he does in this particular minute, too. He shoots the monkey, the skeleton monkey. And Gibbs even tells him, that's not going to do anything to it. And he but goes, it made him But it feel made better. me feel better. Yeah. Poor Just monkey. Like when you- Take your frustrations out on something. It makes you feel better. It does make you feel better, by the way. Yeah, it does. I know. Whether it's an inanimate object or... Well, I guess that's all I do. It's not like I'm a beater. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I just tried to implicate myself as a beater on the show, which is ridiculous. Scott Artis is not a beater. I swear. See, now nobody's going to believe me. Damn it! I'm going down in... (laughs) Heather's now signaling SOS. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Maybe I should cut that out because now people are going to call the cops. Damn it. But it is good to see Marty and the crew back. I'm glad that that's the direction that they went is to bring these guys back. No beatings. No beatings here. We'll just say that. So the cloth with the key on it also has some interesting details to it. I don't know if you saw it. I know you're not necessarily a scrutinizer and an analyzer. Okay, maybe an analyzer, but not a scrutinizer. I know it was dirty. Congratulations, It looked old. Dirty and old. That's really some apt description there. was a key on it. Okay, you saw the key, too, that big key. When Jack holds it up, you can see in the corner that it has, like, tick marks or tally marks on it. So I'm assuming that the prisoner who had the drawing before Jack was also marking his days in prison. Were there a lot of them? Yeah. Oh. I didn't count them. I didn't scrutinize that far, but there were quite a few of these tick marks. And then, you know, once you got to four, you had to put the line through it for the five. That way it makes it easy to count by five. Or was that the number of hands it's been in? <laughs> what kind of crazy talk is that? The I number see. of hands this has it... been in. They tick every new person. <laughs> what? what kind of crackpot theory is that? Get out of here with that. <laughs> That's crazy. That's not. It's obviously the classic... I'm going to mark my days in captivity cliche. And we've all seen this in a ton of movies, but since I've never been in prison myself or stranded anywhere, I do imagine it happened though, even though I don't have firsthand experience with uh, marking my days on the prison wall or the nearest palm tree. In Castaway, he did it in his cave. 
That's right. But again, in real life, does this happen? That's what I can imagine. Because contrary to what you think, Castaway was actually just a movie, Heather. Does marking the days off on the calendar count? That's a good question. It kind of does. It's kind of like that. Because I mark my days off on my work calendar. Okay, maybe we've got this wrapped up. This is all true. I mean, it does make sense to me. Not necessarily the calendar thing. Or maybe it does. I don't know. That way I know what day I'm on. But it's also... And you need all the help you can get. Trust me. It is listed on TV Tropes, the website, because of the sheer popularity of including this in books and movies and TV shows. It's kind of one of those things. So... And then Heather does it, so it's obviously gold. So I guess this does happen in real life. There you go. A lot of people do it. But I can imagine it makes sense if you were in prison. I don't know. Does it? Does it make you feel better if you're like, God almighty, I've been here this long. What else are you going to do? I don't know. You can come up with something. If you're carving into a stone wall, at least they take some time to do. Carve a a nice pretty picture or something. Well, you can't do circles or anything real easy. I don't know. If you have nothing else to do, give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. You've seen people write, uh, write words. I know. Over and over and over after they start going crazy. Yeah, so maybe this is just the prelude to going crazy. You start with the tally marks. Maybe in Plus, some, maybe the mental psychology of things, it's good to know how long you've been there. You just always want to have a semblance in keeping track of time because it keep, connects you maybe to the outside world in your former life to have tracking of time and days. Well, that, you don't have a calendar. You're, okay, you're in prison for... 700 days or whatever. Thanks. That's a short (laughs) sentence. But anyway, you can count them down using tally marks. Yeah. Right? I guess. But that's what I'm saying. I think we're just uh, going down this. 10 days till death. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. I got two days left. I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe you could focus on other things. But then, like I said, maybe there's some psychology behind it of wanting to have a connection to the outside world in your former time. Because I don't know. I mean, does it matter at that point? That's my my question. Does it matter at that point if you're in prison? Yeah. Unless you're getting out on parole. But I mean, are these guys in a Turkish prison getting out? Maybe. I don't know. So maybe they're counting down the I days until it, they but, get out. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. I you think once it. you're in that prison, you're in that prison oh, forever. There you go. Well, I mean, you're getting raven eye pluckings and you're being dragged into like a dungeon or something. So... Who knows? It didn't sound very pleasant. So maybe you're counting down the days like, oh, I can only get out of here in next many days. Maybe that's his, the person who had that was his goal. By day 91, I'm going to get out of here. And then he's counting down the days to that. I don't know. That pretty much was just more word salad from Jack. I mean, basically that conversation. I mean, Jack could be having this conversation with us and we would still be nowhere. I mean, and everybody else out there is going, what the hell are they talking about? How is a drawing... A key of a key much more better. Well, this is because what Jack does. I mean, he's mastered the art of circle talking and double speak. I swear. I have the, he's the king of circle, circle talking. He is. He's he going says round so and much, round and round in this minute. Just like we did. We said so much, but got nowhere. <laughs> Jack is doing the same thing. And I love the fact that when Gibbs suggests they're going after whatever the key opens, which makes sense. Jack nods and points to him with a yes motion, but then says no instead. Yeah. I mean, he has this uncanny ability to get everyone confused while easing their minds that he has a plan in place. Talking about getting everybody confused when he asks, what do keys do? I mean, everybody's looking at him like, is this a quick uh, trick question or what? Yeah, because that's what I got. He and I had in my notes for that same thing because he gets the 
Cruz so confused at what in the Aztec gods are going on here that when he does ask them, like, what do keys do? Leech, our Indian pirate friend here, responds with, keys unlock things? Like, with a question mark. A question? He's not even sure now what the hell a key does. He's like, I thought I knew what keys do, but I'm obviously mistaken. And not only that, drawings of keys are better than regular keys. So he's got everybody completely confused, though. It reminds me of that scene in Clue. And I don't know why it reminds me of that for some reason. But when they're trying to count how many bullets are left in the revolver to see if that Mr. Body has a bullet left. Yeah. And no one really knows what the hell is going on or how many bullets are left. And so it's like they're going one plus two plus two plus one. And they're doing some weird counts and they're all trying to count it. And and it's just kind of this interesting little dilemma. But Jack here is managing to ease the crew's discomfort that they don't have a treasure and he hasn't brought him any shiny stuff. Without really divulging any of his plans in this minute. This is the same thing that caused the mutiny in the Curse of the Black Pearl. He's not divulging the information. He's not sharing some of the stuff. And that's why he doesn't have a strong crew with him. Because if he has this motley crew, the ones that are like a little bit more easygoing or easily confused, they're not going to throw him overboard or ditch him on an island. Jack has a problem with sharing. He does have a problem with sharing. That he does. And actually, that's a good point. It's not in this particular minute, but in the next minute if I can read the future, is something about that sharing, just the way he uses the compass. And I guess we'll save that till tomorrow. Not that I know what not not that I know what is ahead in the movie, because we've only seen it one minute at a time, but he's got the crew. Like I said, so confused at what's going on that even his eyes are saying everything in this particular minute. He has trouble looking directly at Gibbs when explaining the value of the key or the key drawing or drawing drawing. His eyes shift from left to right, and it's like he's searching for this convoluted reason to sell them on it. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to uh, consult psychologist on Jack's eye movement. So that's what I did. So according to Professor Richard Weissman, many psychologists believe that when a person looks up to their right, they are likely to be telling a lie. And glancing up to the left, on the other hand, is said to indicate honesty. But his research, and this is research from 2012, suggests that lying eyes, you know, when people say you have lying eyes because you're shifting around like that, is actually a myth. And this whole idea that, you know, a lying person can't help but reveal these little tells with their eyes is part of this myth. So he suggests and his research has found that verbal hesitations and excessive hand gestures may prove a better guide to whether a person is telling untruths. All I have to say is, well, 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 Jack Sparrow, excessive hand movements. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's a yeah. liar. There's no doubt about it. If it's not the eyes, then it is the hands. And this guy's got hand movements like no tomorrow. Oh, he's yeah. just walking. He's got hand movements. So that means he's just lying to himself constantly. He's got loose arms or something. They just kind of do their own thing. And- <laughs> loose arms. He's like, have we in the past, is this going to be like deja vu where we likened him to that Thing that gets attention for a business it's like an air waving thing the arms waving everywhere whatever that's called i think we did because i think i just did that same thing over yeah it sounds familiar yeah so we're just recycling material now we must <laughs> sorry people this is actually curse of the black pearl minute nine we had just replaced words and we sit in the studio and we go dead man's chest and then we insert it's just like adr you know when the actors come in afterwards and then they do they throw in the 
the voice recordings afterwards. We're doing the same thing. We're doing voiceovers and stuff. So we just we just fill it in and then we're replaying the same issues. Yes. Issues or series or shows. I find it kind of interesting that Jack's like the confused one here and trying to confuse everybody and circle talking. But then he puts all the blame on Gibbs and says he's not making any sense at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's the master at this. Jack isn't confused. He knows that what he wants to do is just talk until they're so out of the the idea of what's really going on here that they just give in. Like, okay, this guy, what in the hell? It's like, I got to have some rum. I'm surprised every one of these pirates doesn't break out a hip flask and start taking <laughs> some rum after they talk with Jack. It's just insane. And speaking of Jack, I don't know. Did we ever talk about Jack's jewelry during the last season? I think we did, right? Yeah. I don't know if we went over all the details, but I think we talked a little bit about it, at least with Barbosa's rings, too. But only four rings were known to be worn by Jack, and this is according to sources here. The first of these was an antique ring, because we do see his rings on his hands when they yeah. do a close-up of the... Map. Not the map, or the, the key. key, I mean. The key on the cloth. The map key. The drawing. First of these was an antique ring with a skull on each side, and I think that's the one we talked about. Yes. Because we talked about the whole skull symbolism and how pirates really didn't wear skulls. But there's also an emerald green stone which Jack wore on the index finger of his right hand. And then there's a second one which is a silver and jade oriental dragon ring which he obtained during an adventure in the Far East. So there you go. Far East ring. Yeah. And Jack's final ring was a gold onyx Spanish flower. And this is the large ring that he has on. Which he stole from a wealthy Spanish widow. Before he turned to piracy, Jack received a gold ring from... Amenirdis, something like that. And that ring had the ability to summon Amenirdis when Jack sailed near her island, which is Kerma. And we talked about this from before a couple episodes back, and I mentioned Kerma and that yes. we would get into that. So, however, that ring was lost. And this is all actually, I was talking about Cutler Beckett. And this has how it circles back to Cutler Beckett because, and the rings. So, Cutler Beckett, Jack Sparrow, and Jewelry all go together, apparently, because. This ring, this gold ring, was lost when Cutler Beckett threw it into the sea before he branded Jack a pirate. And then he got the brand on his arm. Along with the rings, you can see that he's tied, like, these pieces of worn fabric onto his hands. And I don't really know what the significance of that is yet. Yeah, that through the whole Curse yeah, of the Black Pearl, too. but I don't know why that is, and I don't, or I don't remember. And I'm going to have to maybe try and revisit that. I don't think we ever visited that. Okay, so maybe I knew it and I didn't know it, or I don't know why he does it. But that could be a mystery still. Yes. Maybe he just likes the look of it. Maybe it's he possible. never knows when fabric is going to be. Well, yeah, but when is it going to come in handy? Maybe that's what Maybe. he wants to know when, uh, when fabric he will come his, in handy. Well, when he has to uh, slide on rope I don't to think protect that that, his hands. Okay. All the rigging. When he's there sliding on the rigging. But it's not really on his hands. It's on his wrist. So No, he has some over his palms. Does he? Yeah. I'll have to look at that. I will neither confirm nor deny that. But that would make sense then. But he does have four rings, not necessarily here, but I'm only, that's why I'm only talking about three for now. So, uh, And then Jack also wore a shredded wristband on his right wrist. So there you go. But yeah, you're right. There, maybe there was, because I think I was just saying that there's this fabric on his hand. So maybe that's uh-huh. over the kind of the palm that kind of wraps yeah. around. Yeah. It's like he that's uses right. it to protect it yeah, from like it rigging and different stuff so like you're that. Doing that. Like gloves. Yeah. Gloves. Gloves. By the way, Amun Iridis was a princess from the mythical island of Kerma, as I said, but she was featured in the book Price of Freedom, and that's one of the Jack Sparrow books. And someday and somehow, maybe with bonus episodes, we'll cover that information at some point. Yeah. Eh, maybe. Oh, <laughs> uh, we will. Also, you know when Jack 
this caught my attention because when Jack shows the key on the cloth, yeah, we get a spooky, mysterious piece of music there, like a sound effect. And so now we have it's Aztec. A key. Yeah. Well, we have Aztec gold music yeah. that plays. And now we have a dead man's chest key music that plays. Hmm. I know it's curse? not a spoiler because we know that dead man's chest is the name of the movie. So obviously this key must open the chest. So that's not a spoiler. But how do you know it could open the door that open that the chest is in? Well, if I was going to make a bet, even when I first saw this, I would imagine that the key is to the dead man's chest. That's assumptions. The leaf I would be, you know what yeah, assumption spells that uh, that I'm right usually. <laughs> and speaking of Jack in his little outfits and stuff, his love for gold and jewelry. Little Jack the, or Big Jack? Well. It has to be Little Jack because I'm going to talk monkey facts, but I had no real transition. So I was trying to like come up with something <laughs> on the fly. Like how could I transition from us talking about Jack Sparrow to, to Monkey Jack? And I don't think I succeeded. No. Dang it. While Chiquita, she's a female, Chiquita or Pablo, banana. who's a male, portrayed Jack in Dead Man's Chest in At World's End, that is a changeover from the monkeys that we had in the first one. That was Curse of the Black Pearl. So Chiquita reprised the role of Jack in both On Stranger Tides and then also in Dead Men Tell No Tales. So she came back for both of those. Oh, really? And Pablo only came back in Dead Men Tell No Tales. So Chiquita and... Pablo? Pablo. Yeah, thank you for that. It's like I forgot just two seconds ago. <laughs> actually, were in the 2006 Dead Man's Chest, but then they came back, you know, 10 years later, basically, to Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is pretty they crazy. They used all our money and they needed more. Well, actually, because it's funny you said that. I don't know. Why'd you say that? <laughs> I don't know. I just did. That's bizarre. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> because, and it doesn't have to do with them, but it relates back. You just blew my mind. It's like you're some kind of mind reader over there. You're an oracle. Because according to writer Terry Rossio, one of the screenwriters here, Tara, who was played Jack the Monkey in The Curse of the Black Pearl, had become a celebrity and doing special appearances and being paid a lot after the success of The Curse of the Black Pearl. So in his words, that was the reason for which she did not reprise her role in the future film. <laughs> <laughs> so he attributed her stardom and her success to saying, I don't need to work anymore. But Pablo and Chiquita didn't get that success, so they had to come back. They did because they were like, oh, this one's stealing all the limelight because now it's claiming that that's the monkey from Curse all of the Black of Pearl. Them. Yeah, so she's living the high life, and then Chiquita and Pablo are like, what are we, just mangy dogs over here? Yeah. Sad. And I don't recall if I mentioned it last season, but there is a hanging monkey, maybe I did, on a chandelier, and this is in the Pieces of Eight shop in Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And the monkey is also named Jack, and so whether this is on purpose or yeah. not, it's unknown, but I think I kind of mentioned that. Damn it, this is all going to blend together. <sighs> That's okay, they won't remember. Exactly. That is true. What are you trying to word salad the audience now? <laughs> You're like, and you can't use the These force on them. These are not the monkeys you are looking for. <laughs> you, can't, you can't Jedi mind trick the audience. That's just rude. <laughs> and as we were saying, you got to send all your donations here. That's what Heather did. That's the Jedi mind trick. That's what she was doing. She was Jedi mind tricking you. And no, actually, still talking about monkeys. Jack wasn't actually Barbosa's first pet monkey. Which is odd. This guy obviously likes monkeys, but uh, he's a pirate. He can like monkeys. When Barbosa was captain of the Cobra, Bar he had. Well, how many times do I got to say Barbosa in a row? He actually had a pet <laughs> monkey named. Can you guess? Polly. 
What, did you look in my notes? Maybe. Yeah, you did. See? (laughs) Set me up. I knew you were going to fail, and then you steal my notes. That's really just an ironic thing. That's what caught my attention. And the only reason why I included it here, because I thought, okay, we have Jack the Monkey, which is obviously a Treasure Island reference because of the whole naming after your bird kind of deal. There we go. We've gone through that before, so I'm not going to do it now. And then the bird, the macaw here, the parrot, doesn't have a name. It's just cotton. Yet the monkey, Barbosa's first one, was named Polly. And yet we can't give Cotton's parrot a name. Actually, Even if it is a traditional cliche name, Polly. Its name is Cotton's parrot. Well, it's just rude. Or Cotton's tongue. It is Cotton's tongue. (laughs) He's the one who does. Because that's what Jack says. When the bird says, walk the plank... Jack, I don't know why I said it in this weird <laughs> accent. It's like, like, it's like my New Jersey accent. It's like a weird hybrid of British Australian thing. <laughs> the parrot, Cotton's parrot, was actually played by two blue and gold macaws, and they were named Chip and Salsa. Not Chips and Salsa. If you're hungry, that's what you heard. But Chip and Salsa. And they were interchanged for this part. So they're like uh, kids, you know, you have twins to play the young kids part so you can get around the laws, I guess. Well, this one here, if one gets a little fussy, you just get the other one in there. <laughs> Birds get fussy. Oh, they do get fussy. <laughs> and they both worked with the the actor in Curse of the Black Pearl. And David Bailey, he's the one who plays Cotton, loved the birds so much and spent all this time rehearsing with them. And he really wanted them to be comfortable with him during filming. Plus, he doesn't want them like all weirded out. And, you know, one of those things chomps down on you. It's going to... Hurt. And right. his face is right there. Oh, yeah. He needs to make sure that these things are friendly. I've been bitten by a macaw. It ain't pleasant. They have big, giant beaks. <laughs> big, sharp, giant beaks. I've been bitten by a green tree conure. That doesn't hurt. That, no. that hurts. <laughs> no, exactly. I remember when I was do- working with macaws that I would actually, you know, you would hold hold their head in a certain way so your finger could go over their their beak so it didn't uh, didn't get you if they weren't really tamed and trained. But... Like I said, trainers in working with him, the trainers were always just off camera during the scenes. And depending on what they were filming at the time, sometimes they would attach a monofilament line between the bird's leg and Bailey's costume as this lightweight tether for safety. They didn't want him blowing overboard or That's probably good. <laughs> getting knocked around and stuff like that. You know, safety for the birds. Yeah. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. And according to those people, those representatives who sit back and monitor the animal action... Or the macaws, they said, treated Bailey's shoulder as this sanctuary. And the bird being filmed maintained its balance by flapping its wings as the actor moved. Which we all know if you've seen birds or if you have birds, you know that that's how they maintain their balance. I find it interesting that they found sanctuary on cotton. I think they had to work with them so much that that was like a safe place for them. But normally those types of birds attach themselves to one person. They do, yeah. They do attach themselves to one person. But you got to imagine that these are animal actors. And they're probably used to having multiple people handle them. But they love the attention. This is probably is fun for them to be able to do all this stuff. It's just enrichment activities. With all the people around. Yeah, exactly. The noise, the talking. This is just right up their alley. Yeah. Is a social animal. And when they would do special smoke and... Flame effects, you know, as you can see that were maybe near the bird. So they kept this pretty minimal, but they also kept the bird at a safe distance and enhanced everything with digital effects and post-production to increase the drama factor. And that's the same thing with the sound. They didn't have loud booms right next to the birds and things like that. I guess that's why the bird didn't jump when he seen, when he heard the gunshots. Yeah, he didn't flinch. No. 
So it's either he's really well trained or they kept the sound to a minimum. So, they, I mean, they didn't want like a cannonball going off right next to it and then the bird taking off and getting frightened. That's just bad. And then well, yeah. plus it would be uh, animals were harassed during the making of this right. film and they don't want that. Yeah, he didn't flinch at all, though. You'd think with it, if it was noise there, sound. right? Yeah, he would have at least done some kind of jump or yeah. something. So either used to it or... They just didn't really have yeah, the sound and put it in later. Yeah, it was more of a smaller later. sound or yeah. maybe a clicking noise if he really, when he cocked the hammer back. So. Yeah. But that's all I got. Wow. I don't have anything else. Okay, we're ending on Cotton's Parrot. Yeah, Cotton's or Parrot. Or Cotton's Tongue. Cotton's Parrot. <laughs> yeah. Look at a happy note. Hey. That's weird. Awesome. I guess it's okay. I mean, it's why not, wouldn't it be? I like to end on the apocalyptic stuff and the weirdness, but there's none of that going on right yeah, now. Yeah, it's nothing going on right now. Little crazy Jack, but other than that, well, he does shoot a monkey. I mean, they don't say it's that an there's dead monkey though. Well, that's true. They don't say skeleton monkeys weren't harmed in the making of this film. They say animals weren't, and so skeleton monkeys is a whole different thing. Cursed exactly. monkeys are different, and he didn't seem too hurt. Well, he doesn't get hurt because you know how that goes. As soon as yeah. he uh, changes back to flesh, he's all repaired. So. Yeah. That's how the curse works. So I guess we'll be back tomorrow with minute 10 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Hey, if you like this show, tell your friends and family to give it a listen. Blast them on social media. Non-stop. They'll appreciate it. Trust me. If you don't like the show, well, torture them. Tell them, hey, you got to listen to this. And then maybe they'll like it. Just either way, tell them to listen. Then I'll be okay with that. Did you ever come up with something? You were supposed to come up with a little tagline for no, the No, I said I wasn't going to. And another failed attempt to have a tagline of her own. So I guess we'll just I didn't want a daily one. I just want an occasional, occasional one. Occasional one. Okay. Occasional ones are good. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show. And we appreciate it, scallywags. I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed. Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and season two is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.